Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. We glorify you, Lord, for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name. Smile, tell them they look nice. Tell them you're glad they're with you today in the house of God. Amen. And indeed, we are happy for all of you that are with us. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Well, every Sunday morning when I teach, my dear mother, 97 years old, watches me. She lives in the Pensacola area, so I'm going to say, hi, Mom. God bless you. Love you this morning. You're a great lady. And uh, so that's the truth. That's the truth. And uh, I still enjoy talking to her. She's a great conversationist. And uh, we have a good time together on the phone. When I call her, I might as well just figure on at least a half an hour, maybe 45 minutes to an hour, just talking to her. But I always enjoyed that. Amen. God bless you. And uh, I want you to uh, turn with us this morning to Romans chapter 7. We have been studying a very interesting subject in the Bible, in the book of Romans. It is, uh, the Romans is one of the three books. I call them the three books. There's others that's mentioned as well, where Paul deals with the principles of salvation rather than the practicalities of salvation. By that, I mean he deals with how it's possible that we who are Gentiles that were not Jews, how it's possible that we can be saved. And he deals with that, and he says, of course, that all came about by faith. It's the grace of God, and then our response to the God's grace is our faith in believing God. And so he talks about all of that and how that that was greater than the law. He talks about this subject how that the law of the Old Testament told us what God would have us to do, but it was not in us to do it. I'm going to read you some scriptures here where Paul sort of wraps this up, and then we're going to move on into other areas. This uh, eighth chapter, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to you from the seventh and eighth chapter here this morning. The seventh and eighth chapters both are two of the most interesting chapters in the entire Bible, especially chapter eight. And uh, so we're going to be looking into that this morning here. So Paul sort of wraps this thing up about law and grace, how that the law was strong, it was good, but it did not fulfill the complete purpose of God because while it told us what God would have us to do, it never told us how or it never gave us the power or the strength to do it until Jesus came. Jesus, of course, was uh, the word Jesus means uh, uh, God is re- is our redeemer. It means uh, the Lord, the redeemer. The Lord is the redeemer, and uh, the word Lord comes from the I am of the Old Testament and so forth. I won't go into details on that, but uh, anyhow, it means that Jehovah hath become our salvation. And so, when Jesus came, He came and saying, "I'm going to give you what you need to live for Me, to serve Me, to walk with Me, and it would be by My Spirit." Now, I'm going to talk a little, little bit about that. The first thing I want to mention to you here is a little bit away from that. And I want you to look with me in chapter 7, verse 1 through 3. The reason I'm going to just talk for just a few minutes on this subject is because there have been uh, many who have misunderstood this verse of Scripture. And I'm going to give you the real answer for it here to show you in the Scriptures why, why, what it is. This is 7, 1 through 3. It says, now, it says, know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, 
Now understand here when Paul says that, he's saying I'm talking to people who understand the law and I'm only going to use a portion of it. There's a lot more involved here. So he said, I speak to them who know the law. How that the law hath dominion over man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But when the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she is married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. And many, uh, even ministers and pastors, uh, have taken the position that as long as you were one time married and you divorce, and that other wife is still, let's take a man's side of it, you, he divorces a woman, and then as long as uh, she's still living, he has no right to ever marry. And so they take that position. Uh, when I was a young man, there used to be a, a, an African-American pastor, had a great church, big church. He was an apostolic, a great preacher as well. In, uh, in, this, in the city of Philadelphia, Indiana, Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. And he had branch churches all over the nation. And uh, he was a very good preacher, but he required that anybody who got saved had to go back and find their first wife and get, and get and remarry her. And anybody, any woman had to go back and find her first husband and get married. And that created a lot of confusion. Sometimes they were remarried, they're going on down the line, you know, it just, it, it just couldn't happen. But he required that of them, and he was not the only one. There was others that did the same thing because they took it right from this seventh chapter, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to tell you why that's not the case. Now, number one, if you read the 24th chapter of Deuteronomy, I won't go there and read it. But if you did, you would find out there were a lot of reasons that they could divorce in the Old Testament. And... uh, and in the uh, 19th chapter of the book of Matthew, as well as the 5th chapter of Matthew, Jesus said, He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives, nor allowed it. So what he was saying, that under the law, there was a lot of liberal reasons to divorce. So, uh, and, and he says, and, and so he said, but from the beginning, it was not so. So what I'm pointing out to you simply is that when you read verses 7 through 1 through 3, that's why Paul said, he that understandeth know the law. In other words, there's a lot more involved here. I'm only using it as an example. And here's how he uses it. For example, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about law and grace. He's not talking about marriage and divorce here. And this is, this is important to understand. Because if somebody goes to Romans chapter 7, 1 through 3 to find out about marriage and divorce, you're in the wrong place. This is talking about law and grace. And, uh, and so Paul, that's why he said, I speak to them that know the law, because this is, this is just only a little smattering of what I'm talking about. So verse 4, then he explains what he's talking about in 1 through 3 of 7. He says here, wherefore, my brethren, verse 4. Uh, ye also are become dead. In other words, he's replying it now, what he's just said to the spiritual side of it. You're become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Christ died, therefore the law died, that ye should be married to another, even to him 
who is raised from the dead, that ye should bring forth fruit unto God. So do you understand what I'm saying here? And I'm just trying to, you know, set the record straight. So if you ever hear anybody said, oh, you got to do it. No, 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 no. You do not go to Romans chapter 7 to find out about marriage and divorce. You, you know what chapter you go to? You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is full of all the right things to do. And it also gives the reasons why there can be divorce and cannot and all like them. And anyone who gets saved, I don't care if they've been married a dozen times. Anybody who gets saved and they come to the Lord, it starts there. In other words, the Lord, the blood of Christ covers everything. Praise the Lord. Uh, we call it BC, before Christ. Everything before Christ. So when we come to the Lord, amen, everything else, just forget it. Praise the Lord. Walk on with your life. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul goes into detail on all those things. So I'm just simply saying, uh, never take Romans chapter 7 here. Uh, as a guideline for marriage and divorce. Anybody ever does that? No, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong book in the wrong chapter. You want to go to 1 Corinthians 7, not Romans 7. Everybody with me? Oh, yeah, this is about law and grace. Now I'm going to move on here because I want to uh, talk to you here. What Paul does is that he goes on here in this chapter 7 and he talks and he begins to wrap it up now. And he, he starts talking here about how that the law passed away that the grace of God might come unto us. And then there is a section of scriptures in here that is absolutely phenomenal. It starts in about verse 15 where Paul talks about the futility of trying to live under the law without the spirit of God, without help, without anything to help you. Uh, look at verse 15, for instance. I won't take a lot of time to read the, all of these verses, but the Bible has a lot of verses here concerning this altogether. 15, this is 715. For that which I do, I allow not for what I would that I do, that, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If I do that, then which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now, it is no longer... Uh, it is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. What he's talking about was that in my mind and heart, I want to do what's right. But in the flesh, I follow the will of the flesh. And he's talking about under the law. Everybody still with me? He's talking about the futility of being under the law. Now, I'm going to read these verses from verse 19 on down. Look very closely. And this is a very famous, very interesting passage of scripture here. And when you get through reading down from 19 down through 24, you feel like, oh, my Lord, there is just no hope at all. And you, this is the way it was up until the coming of Christ. Verse 19, he says, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. This is verse 19. I'm still here in chapter 7, 720 now. Now, if I do that, that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, do, do good, evil is present with me. He's talking about, uh, talking about the law of God. I find then a law and everything, and these things just seem to work against the word of God. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, 
and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So what he is simply saying, I know what to do. I want to do it. I I know I need to follow the word under the law. I'm talking about under the law of Moses. But the old flesh is just weak in doing it, and it, it, it seems like it dominates, and it just it's, it's like pulling against itself all the time. And so finally, in verse 24, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The body of this death. And uh, he's saying everything is hopeless. It's just, you know, it's just no hope in it. Until you read the last verse, the last verse, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of, uh, I'm sorry, but with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. This is the way it leaves you. And this is the Old Testament. This is the way it was before Christ. And if Paul ceased to write anything else in the book of Romans, he would leave us almost in a hopeless feeling. Oh, wretched man that I am, there is no hope. Under the law, you want to do good, but you can't do good. You try to do good, but you can't. Folks, this is the problem of people who try to be a Christian without his spirit. This is where that we, we run afoul if we try to be a good man or a good woman, and a lot of people do. And they try to be a good Christian without the Spirit of God. But God has given us something now under, the, under, the, under, under grace that we have to give us the power to do the things, amen, that we should do and how we should live. Praise the Lord. Now, if you look with me beginning in chapter 8, in chapter 8, and all of a sudden, the whole thing changes. All of a sudden, when you go into chapter 8, the whole picture blossoms. It's like, uh, it's like the sun coming out. It's like, uh, it's like a, a flower that just all of a sudden opens up. You know, you see them on fast TV where they do it real fast. They show a little flower, and then all of a sudden, it just pops open. It's like something just popping open like this. And uh, it says this in chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And he begins to talk about these kind of things. And I'm going to go ahead and read some other verses of scripture to you here. But let me just say this. It's interesting to note that all of a sudden here in this change of chapters, chapter 7 leaves you deflated. And if you were to just say, okay, there's no more to book of Romans, you'd go away and say, man, there's no hope for us. But when you read chapter 8, all of a sudden you say, it's all in Christ. It's in Jesus. And this is what Paul is trying to bring out to us. You never stop in chapter 7 and quit there. You go to chapter 8 to find the answer and find the solution. And it's all right there in chapter 8. Uh, if I can use this for an example, if you know anything about chords on a, let's say a piano, there is major chords and minor chords. I understand that all sounds are in minor, all sounds are in minor, but the instruments of music can produce major sounds. I used to have a friend that, uh, that could hear any sound 
and he could tell you what key it was in. You know, he was, he, one day I asked him, I said, how do you do it? He said, well, to be honest with you, all sounds are in minor. So I always say B flat minor, B this, B that. But all the sounds are in a minor key and so forth. You ever heard of a minor bird? He sings in minor. <laughs> just, just kidding you. But anyhow, this is the way it was up until about 2,000 years ago. And at that time, they were able to make steel harder, stronger. And the Roman Empire developed the steel. They put alloy in it, you know, to make it stronger. And when they were able to do that, they were able to make wire stronger where they could tighten it tighter. And when they were able to make it tighter and putting it on instruments of music, such as harps and the forerunners of things like guitars and violins and all those kind of things, forerunners of it. Uh, when they were able to do that, they were able to raise that note. It went down, down. And if I had somebody up here to play a piece of music, I'd show you what the minor sounds and then how the major sounds. It goes down, down. And it's amazing that this all developed and came about when, about the time Christ was born. When Christ came, even in music, it went from minor sounds. Now, for the first time, man could create major sounds. And so, and I know all, the reason I know that is because um, a man who was a fabulous piano player and studied music all of his life uh, told us that one time in a meeting we were in, and, uh, and I know he had great knowledge of it. Brother Becton, how many of you remember Brother Becton? That came from Brother Becton, and he had a great knowledge of music. And uh, so I'm pointing out to you here that what you have here in the seventh chapter is a minor sound. But when Jesus came, it came into the major sound. The lights went on. The, the sound improved. It sounded beautiful. And this is what happens in chapter 8. Now stay with me on chapter 8 because it's a chapter where he talks about uh, the Spirit of the Lord and how important the Spirit of the Lord is. Praise the Lord. Look at, uh, look at verse 3 now. I'm going to continue reading here. Chapter 8. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh... God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And notice the word spirit here is capital letter meaning the spirit of God. Okay. Now verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. And what he is saying here is that if you don't receive the spirit of God, you're still dealing with that struggle that they struggle with under the law because they had no spirit of God to help them to do it. Now, the spirit of God moved. Uh, the Bible says holy men of old spake as they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. The prophets had the Holy Ghost to move upon them and they would prophesy Elijah one time uh, had the Spirit of God moved on him, and, and he outran a chariot, you know. I mean, it was just the moving of God was powerful. Uh, he, he, he slew 850 false prophets or had them slain and everything when the Spirit of God moved on. But when the Spirit of God left Elijah, and it would withdraw. And when it would leave him, he ran and hid in the desert because Jezebel said, I'm going to get you, and I'm going to take your life, and, and you'll be dead this time tomorrow when I get a hold of you. And so Elijah fled. How is it that a man could, you know, defy 850 false prophets one moment, one day, and the next day he'd be on the run from a, from a woman, you know? It's because the Holy Ghost had lifted from him. 
and all the prophets, they would move upon them and would lift. But in the New Testament, we are baptized with that spirit. That spirit is given to us as something we will always, we always keep. Now, that spirit is, elive, is enlivened in us when we worship. When you worship, when you pray, when you glorify God, the spirit of God is enhanced and it will begin to move inside of us. And that's why our church services are so very important. But the spirit stays with us and it has many benefits to it. And this is what Paul is talking about when he talks about walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. Because if you have the spirit of God, you have the privilege then to walk in the spirit. So he says here, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. This is verse four, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I'm going to read on here. For they that are after the flesh do mind things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity, that means it's an enemy against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither it can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But now look at this closely. If, I, if you don't remember anything else I've said this morning, remember what I'm fixing to say right here. It says here in verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He's speaking to the church, of course. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. You're in the spirit if the spirit dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, if you've got your Bible, mark that in your Bible. If you have not the spirit of Christ, uh, you, he, you are none of his. And some people say, oh, well, Brother Myers, there's, there's the, the Father, the Spirit, and there's the Son, that's the Spirit, and then there's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's the Holy Ghost, the same thing. The word ghost is an old English word for spirit. And so there is three spirits. No, there isn't three spirits. The Bible says uh, God is a spirit. You know, John four twenty four. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And it says that uh, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. There's not two spirits. There's not the Holy Spirit, and then there is the Spirit of Christ. It's the same. Let me give you an example of that. Go over, if you would, to uh, I think it's uh, in I think it's in Luke. Uh, over to Luke chapter four and verse one. Look at this very quickly with me. It says here in verse one, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the Holy Spirit. Jesus was full of the Holy Ghost. He returned from Jordan and so forth. Verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. That Spirit, capital letters, meaning the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, this is the Lord himself speaking when he went into Nazareth and went into the synagogue and picked up the book and started reading from Isaiah chapter 61. The first two verses in chapter 61 of Isaiah. This is what he said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. Notice that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty to them that are bruised. And he's still doing the same thing today. Praise the Lord. Did you hear what I just said? He is still doing the same thing today. This is what the Lord said to that city of Nazareth where he grew up. When he read it in the synagogue, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. My emphasis is that the spirit of God 
that was on Jesus, in Jesus, upon him, was the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Same thing. So when somebody says, oh, well, the Spirit of Christ is different, though, no, it's not. It's the same thing. And it's the very same thing. Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, it's all the very same thing. And Jesus said that he has come to preach the gospel to the poor and, to, uh, and has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Folks, he has been sent to do that. I'm telling you, you can have a broken heart. Jesus can heal that. Listen to me when I say that. And maybe some of you are someone out here this, today and you feel like you've got a broken heart. Let me just tell you, Jesus can do, can do the work on that. We have to go to him for it. And God will absolutely do it because he's promised in his word. It's in his word and we believe it. Praise God. Now, I'm going to move on here because I want to talk to you here about some other things here. But he lets us know here that uh, the spirit of God is, is, is absolutely the same. Uh, we've been talking to you there about the book of Luke. Look in John for just a moment. St. John. This is a confirmation to that same verse of scripture. And... Uh, I'm reading here in John 14, 16. Look very closely at this. Everybody still with me? All right. Well, I'm talking about the Spirit of God and that it's essential to belong to Christ and that Christ's Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Ghost. If you get the Holy Ghost, you've got the Holy Spirit, you get the Spirit of Christ. The same one Spirit. Now, 14, 16 says, And I will pray the Father, this is Jesus speaking, and he's talking to his disciples. And I will pray or ask the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. He's talking to them and telling, him that, telling them that he is about to go away. And he says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide in you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. In other words, it's me. That's what he's saying here. And shall be in you. So Jesus is saying the spirit of truth is that spirit that's in me, which is the Holy Spirit. And he's confirming all of that. He says, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So the comforter that would come Speaking of the Holy Ghost here, and, and, and if I read verse 26, it says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, verse 26 says that in the same chapter, 14, 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, and he goes on and talk, talks about that, but I'm identifying what the spirit that was in Christ was. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, it's all the very same thing. And Jesus said that I will give you that spirit, praise the Lord, I will pray and the Father should give you the spirit. Well, that's God giving the spirit. No, look at you. You're, you're, while we're still there in 14, John 14, Philip asked him, Lord, verse like nine, verse nine, I'm backing up. Jesus said to him, have I been so long time? He asked him, Lord, show us the father and it suffices of verse eight. He said, Philip says, Lord, show us the father and it will satisfy us. Verse nine, Jesus said to him, have I been so long time with you and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. Wow, that's strong words. And how sayest thou unto the show us the Father? <clears throat> Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? That's the Spirit. The Father is the Spirit of God. Jesus was the man, the man. 
Jesus, and he, by the, being the man, born of Mary, of course, God being his father, God was his father. But he was also, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And he said, I'm in the father. I'm in the father. How could he be in the father? The father in me. Well, let's take a light bulb. If you've got a light bulb in the room, just let's say we had just one big light up here in the ceiling, and the light went out and filled the whole room. And we could say that the bulb, the light is in the bulb, of course. But then because the room is full of light, the bulb is in the light. You understand what I'm saying? So that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, but God is everywhere and there's no place he is not. Now, if you can't figure that out, join the club. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm just saying here that God's, God is greater than what our little brains can really figure out. When I start trying to analyze the creations of God, sometimes I look out and see the stars and I think, Lord, how vast is the heavens? And, and I start thinking on them and all the things I read about it and know about it. It's, it's like it just, it's just, it's greater than, I just, I just forget it. I, it's greater than my mind can comprehend because God is that great, you know. And yet there are people in this world who try to make it sound like that uh, our brains is the greatest thing in the universe. Well, forget that. You know, it's uh, God is just good to us as human beings to give us the ability to think and, 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 and to do what we can do. Just the fact that we walk upright, humans just walk upright. That's an amazing thing. Other creatures don't do that, you know, like we do. God has made us where we can walk upright with right balance. And I won't go into all that stuff. I could talk about the human body and how great God is to us. But the point I'm bringing out to you here is simply that the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ is the very same. Praise the Lord. Now, I want to go back to chapter 8 of Romans here. Go back to chapter 8 for a moment here. This is a powerful chapter and he talks about how that it's important to have the spirit of God. And then in verse nine, I'm going to reread that, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So we have to have the spirit of Christ, which is the Holy spirit in us to belong to him. Everybody understand what I'm saying? You've got to have the Holy spirit. Praise the Lord. And uh, the Holy Spirit is essential for us to have. Uh, I want you to look at verse 11 here for a moment. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, notice the word spirit is, all, is capital letters here again. Every time it's a capital letter, it refers to the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, dwell in you. Everybody get that? He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. The word quickeneth means make alive. It's referring to the resurrection. So what we are saying and what Paul is referring to here is that if you have the spirit of God in you, when the rapture takes place, the resurrection, everything, then the spirit of God will quicken your body. But we have to have his spirit for it to do that. So what I'm trying to say here is that to be in the rapture, you've got to have the Holy Spirit. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. You say, Brother Myers, oh, that's your opinion. No, no, that's in the Bible here. And I stand upon this. We have to have the Holy Ghost in us in order for us to have, uh, to belong to him, in verse 9, 
and then to also be in the rapture uh, here in this particular verse. I'm going to have you go with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for a moment. This is the resurrection chapter. And look at uh, 1521. 1521. Everybody still with me? You're a wonderful class here this morning. God bless you. Appreciate you all being here. Uh, Look at verse 21 and 15. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Now, since by man came death, that was Adam because Adam sinned and brought death upon the human race. By man came death, by, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. That was Jesus Christ, God manifest in flesh as a man, he came. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, and notice the word in Christ. This is what I'm talking about. We have to belong to him. We have to be in him. He says, just as I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, so am I in you and you in me. He says that over in the book of John. And so he is in us and he is, a, he is in us by his spirit because he said, I'll send the, the comfort of the Holy Ghost. I will come unto you. I will be in you, his spirit. So he is in us by the spirit, but we are in him by baptism. Being, being buried with him in baptism, the Bible says we put on Christ. So to be in him, we have to be baptized in Jesus' name. That's putting on Christ. And then his spirit in us is his spirit in us. So he is in us. We are in him. Everybody with me? All right. He goes on to say here in, the, in 1 Corinthians here, verse 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's the resurrection. Now verse 23, But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, And that's referring to Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ who was the first of the resurrection. In other words, there was no resurrection before Jesus. Jesus was, I mean, they resurrected. He raised people from the dead, but they died again. Lazarus, you know, was raised from the dead. But Lazarus lived out his lifetime and then finally died again. So did the widow's son. So did Jairus' daughter. They, uh, they lived out their life and then they died. But Jesus rose never to die again. Behold, he was he that was alive and dead. And behold, he's alive forevermore. Revelation chapter 1 says that. And so we'll continue reading here. Afterwards, they are Christ at his coming. And then he talks here that every man in his own order, verse 23, Christ, the first fruits. Afterwards, they that are Christ at his coming. But it's those that are Christ. In other words, we've got to belong to him. Now, 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says pretty well the same thing. I'm going to read the 16th verse. Uh, down through 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise for in Christ. And that's what's important, folks. And to be able to be in Christ, we have to be baptized in his name and we have to have his spirit in us. This is why the Holy Spirit is so important. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to be with the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So this is, uh, you know, found over in First Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, 16 and 17 there, in the, reading those verses. So it's important that we have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, uh, let me talk to you a little bit about the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost has an evidence of it. It's called the initial physical evidence. There are evidences of the Holy Ghost by how we live how we walk, how we talk, how we act, how we treat other people, 
the way we feel toward other people. The Holy Spirit will take away malice, hatred, envy, strife, bitterness, all kinds of things that will take it out of our heart when we have the Holy Ghost. Uh, that, but it, there is an initial physical evidence when you receive the Holy Ghost so that right then you know you have it. Now, the evidences of other things follow. It'll follow us all of our lives. I could read Galatians chapter 5, verses, uh, I think it's 15 through 18, where it talks about all of the, uh, it was 23 through 24, I think. Galatians uh, 5, where it talks about the fruits of the Spirit and how it talks about these wonderful things that the Spirit of God in us brings forth. Love, mercy, kindness, peace, joy, all these kind of things. That's evidence of it. But the initial physical, initial is the beginning of it, and physical is what's there that's present, what's almost tangible, is that of speaking in other tongues. Now, this is a thing that is rejected by many uh, branches of even Christianity, certainly other religions, of speaking in tongues, but it's so Bible. It is so Bible. Let me, uh, let me show you a verse of Scripture found in Isaiah. This is a prophecy of it. Isaiah 28, 11. He says, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. This is a prophecy in Isaiah, 1,700 years before Christ, that when the Holy Ghost would come, stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Okay, so he prophesied here that would be this speaking in tongues when the rest would come. And so much of the Bible talks about the rest. In, uh, it's in Matthew eleven fourteen, I think it is. eleven twenty eight. Can we get that on Matthew eleven twenty eight? We just reverse those numbers. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the promise that Jesus gave, that he will give us rest. Now, look in Hebrews chapter 4. These folks, God bless them up there. Look at Hebrews 4, 1, 2, and 3. Look at those three verses. 4, 1. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left of us of entering to his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, speaking of the Jews, but the word preached did not profit them not being with faith in them that believed it. Verse 3. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest. This is what the Holy Ghost is. It is the rest of God. It's the rest that he has given us. If they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished, even from the foundation of the world. Look in uh, verse 5. I think it is. Look in 4, 5. And in this, pe- in this place, again, if they shall enter into my rest. Look at verse uh, 9. I'm just shooting from the hip here. There remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God. And then finally, verse 11. Look at that one. This is all in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So what Paul is, is writing here, in, in the, over here in the, in in hebrews is that there is a rest that is for us and can i just let me just say this today folks for all of us you have a right to that rest we all have a right to it and can i just say this for anyone who has maybe received the baptism of the holy ghost in times past 
and you have become bogged down and you become frustrated with trials and troubles and cares and, and things going on all around you and in your own personal life and I don't know, maybe you're out of a job, maybe the kids are not acting right and maybe you feel lonely sometimes and, and you feel depressed and all kinds of things. I want you to know that the Lord wants you to have a rest and you cannot imagine, you cannot imagine what that rest can do and the peace that God can give you. And I've used, and Sister Burroughs, if you'll allow me to use you again for an example, God bless this lovely lady. Uh, they, she lost a daughter, her and her husband lost a daughter when she was 14 years old. She died and she was so brokenhearted, she thought she was going to die from a broken heart at the loss of their oldest daughter. They had four, they got three now. And at the loss of that daughter, she said, I thought I'd cry. And I prayed and I said, God, would you give me peace? By your spirit, would you give me? And she said, I felt the Holy Ghost come all over me. Now, how many of you have felt that and experienced that from time to time? All right. You know what I'm talking about. That Holy Ghost just comes all over you and you just feel it just, just like this. Go all over you. And whenever it did, she said, all of a sudden I had peace and I knew that my daughter was with Christ and she was okay and everything was all right and God had, you know, had taken care of everything right. And she said, from that time on, I never worried about her ever again. I'm telling you what the Holy Ghost can do for us. Praise the Lord. It gives us a peace. It gives us a comfort. And he's our comforter. He is our peace. He is our joy. He is our help in the time of need. And, of course, the evidence of that is, like I read here, of course, is, is uh, this speaking in other tongues. Uh, Acts chapter 2 and 1 through 4. Let's look at that one for a minute. Acts 2, 1 through 4. This shows you where it was. And when the day of Pentecost was full had come, they were all with one mind, one place. Verse 2. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. Verse 3. This is old hat with you, I know. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and set upon each of them. And then the fourth verse. And they were all filled with the baptism with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's what happened in that early church where there was 20, there was uh, 21, I believe, or 20, 21 people praying, seeking God. And, uh, and there, was, uh, there was all the apostles and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all of Mary, the mother of Jesus, received the Holy Ghost like this too. She was one of those that was there. And uh, so I'm just trying to show you here. Also, the Gentiles, look at uh, Acts chapter 10. And if you look with me, 16th in the 26th verse, I believe, 16th verse. I'm sorry, 6th verse. Boy, let's see, 46, I'm sorry. Look at Acts uh, 10, 46. For they heard them speak with tongues. This is the Gentiles when they received the Holy Ghost and magnified God, then answered Peter. I'm just using this to show you that when they received the Holy Ghost, they spoke with tongues. Look at 19.6 of Acts, Acts 19.6. And it says here, when Paul had laid his hands on them, these were these disciples at Ephesus that he found. And he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They said, we have not so much heard where there be any Holy Ghost. And he said, how were you baptized? They said, well, they were baptized under John's baptism. He said, John baptized unto repentance, saying to believe on him who should come after him, that is on Jesus. And then they were baptized in Jesus' name. And then here it says, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. This is the initial physical evidence of the Holy Ghost. I'm saying here today, folks, don't stop short of what God has for you.
Hallelujah. It's the greatest thing in the world. This is what Paul was talking about in all this book of Romans. He was saying here, there's, there's a lot of things here, but you have a right, praise the Lord, to have that wonderful spirit of God. Now, there's one other thing I'm going to touch base and then I'm going to close. My time is just about gone. And that is that in this eighth chapter of the book of Romans, there is a verse of scripture I want to refer to here in 815. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Everybody listening to me? To fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby ye cry, Abba, Father. That spirit, in other words, the Holy Spirit is not something to be feared. And it will prevent you from being in fear if you allow yourself to yield to the spirit, submit yourself to the spirit, obey the word of God. Obeying the word of God will enhance the spirit of God in your life. And uh, with that verse of scripture, I'm going to read one other verse that's found. It's just a confirmation to it. It's found over in the second Timothy chapter one and verse seven. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. This is over in second Timothy. For God hath not given us but power and of love and of a sound mind. So when you have the spirit of God, it is not a spirit to fear. And the reason I'm saying that is because in the day and the hour in which we're living now, with all the stuff going on in the world, and sometime in the near future, I'm going to get into some of these things in the area of some prophecy. Because things that are happening today are shaping up for the last days, I promise you it is. It is. I'm talking about all this, t- this uh, terrorist stuff coming across from the, from the foreign countries in the Middle East over here into Europe and also into America. And uh, I just want to... I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it, but don't have fear in your heart. If you have the Holy Ghost, understand this. The Lord said, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's when you have his spirit, you have him inside of you. And whenever you do, you know the Lord can be with you. If you do not have the Holy Ghost this morning, in this morning's service, whenever the preacher comes to the end of his message, ask God to give it to you. And there will be people that will help you pray. And God will baptize you with that spirit. And you will be a changed person. You'll love, you'll love everybody. It changes your heart, your soul, your spirit, your mind, everything. And give you the power to live the good life that within yourself you find and I find so difficult to do. Isn't God great? God not only has given us the way to live, but he's given us the power to live it. Let's stand together and lift our hands and worship him right now. Lord, we love you today. We thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and blessings. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for this great and wonderful congregation. We thank you, Lord, for many blessings upon your people. We give you the praise and glory for all things. Bless our morning service. In Jesus' name we pray.